Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend of mine asked if I would record myself reading one of my novels as something they would find comforting and familiar in the midst of the uncertainty and anxiety of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be reading to you from Perishables, the first book in my five-book urban fantasy and vampire series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka FalstaffBooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Perishables link. That goes to Amazon. Thanks. now the next installment of me reading to you from perishables to catch you up on the story at this point withrow has let you know that he's a vampire he lives in the suburbs he went out to kind of the middle of nowhere and eventually the suburbs caught up to him now he's on his neighborhood association's executive board and he has just arrived at the spring meeting which is also a potluck Dinner itself was the usual fare. We'd all brought a side dish and Mary Lou had done up a roast. Franklin had his jellied beef loaf out on the table and as usual everyone was kind of avoiding taking more than the amount exactly necessary for the sake of politeness. Conversation wound around the other's jobs. Herb is an architect, Kathy a programmer, Franklin does advertising jingles, and Mary Lou is a property manager. Herb talked about how no one cares about good design and the conversation briefly brushed up against how people these days just like to live in the biggest box they can squeeze onto a quarter acre lot. But Kathy caught Mary Lou looking uncomfortable and so she steered us away into asking about Franklin's latest work. He'd supervised auditions for a campaign selling candy bars and that was his big victory of the last six months. Kids all over the country were humming a tune he'd picked for them whenever they stuck a dollar in a snack machine at school. Everyone stayed politely distant from probing me about my professional life, until Franklin said what he always says. Your grandfather was also an artist, wasn't he? I shrugged. He certainly was. Quite a gifted landscape artist in his day, Franklin said to the others, as though he had to explain it to them every six months or they'd forget. I always hate this part of our conversations. Normally I sit there and let it happen around me, but that night, for some reason, I spoke up. He worked on a lot of themes, I said, without looking up from my plate. Landscape was just to pay the rent. Oh, Franklin replied, trying to save face. I didn't mean to imply that his art was limited. It's just that landscape is what he's known for. I didn't know anyone was known for landscape. Mary Lou said over her glass of blush. She smiled at me and I looked up to meet her eyes. Mary Lou had a funny look on her face and I thought again about that mythical sixth sense. John Turner, I said around a mouthful of broiled pork. 18th and 19th century. Hans Heisen, Monet, lots of well-known artists had or have landscapes as some of their best-known work, and it's still quite popular. There's Paul Saulier in Kentucky. Let's see, Kirk Jackson. He does mixed-media seafront stuff. Very impressive. Lots of stuff with Cornwall. He also does some photography. I shrugged and sat straighter in my chair, set my fork down on the plate, took a loud gulp of meat. Landscape is a very respected theme still, even if some people consider it fuddy-duddy. I stopped. I was starting to get pissed off, and my tone was showing it. I take a finished piece, 
When I've been careful to make using an aged canvas, a supply of paints that's hard to find anymore, timeline appropriate brushes, all the things needed to produce a work that's effectively been counterfeited even though I really am with Rosarette and I really did paint it myself. And show it to a curator or a dealer and they check the signature and then they cluck their tongues and say something about how I was lucky to find it because surely there must not be many unknown works by my grandfather left. And then they look at me like I'm the world's worst leech. Like they can't believe I value my supposed ancestry so little as to put a high price on it. Mary Lou arched her eyebrows and made an O with her mouth. I had no idea, she said. Everyone else chewed in silence. She made a little mmm noise to indicate she wasn't finished, like she just realized that perhaps she should clarify her statement. I mean, I had no idea you were such an avid student of art being a writer yourself. Well, I replied, fiction is an art. Yes, Mary Lou replied, so completely and blissfully tactful that no one could ever accuse her of trying to draw me out. But there's a reason they call it arts and letters, isn't there? I mean, there's an art to writing, yes, but they're not the same thing. She lifted an elbow to point it at her husband, gesturing casually with the same arm holding up her glass of wine. It's not like writing music or, say painting. I know what bait smells like and I didn't bite even though I was definitely in the mood for it. Instead I just shrugged again. Maybe so. I wouldn't know. Saying that was hard. The part of me had starved in a one-room apartment over an appliance store in Asheville for five years while I learned that landscapes were so important to the history of so many artists because landscapes will sit still long enough for you to practice your craft, to learn, to experiment, to compare the results of one technique with another, to learn the little inner cues that tell you when you're doing something right, when you should just keep working and not overthink it for a little bit because you've got that vibe. That part of me wanted to throw something. The part of me that has to maintain a public life just normal enough to go as unnoticed as possible, though, that part of me had to ride herd on everything else inside. And it won. Mary Lou was clearly trying to come up with something she could say in response to that non-reply, something that would cement her conversational victory, but I cut her off at the pass by jamming my fork into the sliver of jelly beef loaf I'd gotten and shoving the whole thing in my mouth. No one had ever seen anyone else actually eat the jellied beef loaf before. Shocked silence descended on the table, and even Mary Lou's pupils dilated a hair's breadth when she saw me do it. I chewed and chewed and chewed. Jellied beef loaf, it turns out, is a kind of sausage. Note the careful use of that phrase, though. Imagine taking deviled ham and stuffing it into a sausage skin, then baking it or frying it. It doesn't turn hard, but it's not complete mush. It tastes of salt and bland flesh, so there's nothing remarkable there. It's just meat-flavored stuff you put in your mouth and you chew. I was chewing a lot of it at once, and I chewed with merciless slowness. Chew. 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 Franklin was watching to see what I thought, whereas Mary Lou and Kathy and Herb looked like they were waiting for me to topple over dead. I swallowed the slice, raised both eyebrows slowly, and then lifted my hands over the table. I was very careful to give the impression that I was either going to reach for other food, or I was going to try to cover my mouth before projectile vomiting. I let that second or three stretch out, and then I reached for the plate with the rest of the jellied beef loaf on it, carved a generous length of it, and lifted it onto my plate. 
Delicious, Franklin, I nodded at him and then smiled. I had no idea. I picked up the entire severed portion, one long and greasy tube of dull beige pink, and bit it off like a candy bar. Mmm, I said tonelessly, still smiling. I took another elaborately slow bite. Yes, I went on, rolling it around my palate, pausing to let the bouquet express itself, then jawing it again. Delicious. After that, Kathy eventually picked up the mantle of conversation and wore that yoke through the rest of dinner. She tried to talk about the artistic side of programming, elegant designs, smooth operations, helpful commenting, and tried to use that to tie into writing as an attempt to build a bridge between me and Mary Lou. Herb helped her out as best he could, and over time it turned into Franklin and Herb and Kathy talking about how corporate structures obscure the creative efforts of the individuals in their employ, no matter how creative any one of them is, even if every individual in the organization is trying to be creative. As they turned into the bad luck club, grousing convivially about the hardships of cubicle farms, Mary Lou kept watching me eat as I finished off the rest of the plate of jelly beef loaf. If Mary Lou was on to me, if she wanted to watch me for whatever it was to raise the hair on the back of her neck, I was happy to give her something innocuously bizarre. A taste for jellied beef loaf. I even smeared some on a biscuit and ate it like pate to keep her on her toes. I smiled the entire time. Franklin had just asked Herb and Kathy if they were ready for them to for him to bring out dessert, and they had made the appropriate noises about how it was too much, but they'd love to try a little, when I realized two things. Herb and Kathy were lovers, and I had just heard a car accident in the distance. And that is the second segment of me reading to you from Perishables, the first book of the Withrow Chronicles. Come back tomorrow, and I will read you some more. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. The theme music is Plucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution license at ccmixter.org.